Good morning. Welcome. It is so good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Thank you for being here. Um, and for those listening online who couldn't be here this morning, um, we miss you. We, we wish you were here. We understand you can't. I think of Scott um, and Patty who are who have been out for a while. Scott, we're praying for you. I know they're listening online. So can we just, uh, can you guys clap loud enough that maybe the mic picks it up so Scott knows we're praying for him? Yeah. Yeah, we miss you, Scott. Um, we are in our series, Becoming Incredible, and we've been talking about how do we honor God and family, not only our families at home, but as the series has developed, it's become also our family at church. How do we honor God and family? And this week we pick up with Bob Parr, who is Mr. Incredible, and he is at the mercy of the villain. He is in his darkest moment. He believes that his family is dead, that he's lost his wife and his kids. And this is what Robert McKee, who is a screenplay expert, um, calls the negation of the negation, the fate worse than death. Because for Bob, it would be easy to die compared to the thought of living with the reality that he caused his family's death and that he lost them and they're gone and now he has this invincible body and he has to live with the loss. And so let's see how Bob deals with this situation and then we'll talk about it. There isn't much time. No, there isn't. In fact, there's no time at all. Please. Why are you here? How can you possibly bring me lower? What more can you take away from me? A family survived. Okay. So here he is. This is Bob. He's supposed to be a superhero, right? And Bob has his hands around the neck of someone. Bob is a is a classic superheroes, and superheroes do not kill people even when they're evil, right? Superheroes capture them and turn them over to the police. They don't just kill them in most classic superheroes. And the superhero certainly doesn't choke women, but here he is, his hand around her throat, ready to crush her life, ready to crush his life, because there's no going back from taking a life. Everything he says he stands for would be thrown away with just just crushing her neck there. Fear and loss are powerful emotions, aren't they? When we're in fear, when we're in loss, when we've lost something that matters, it's a powerful emotion. And Paul describes this roller coaster that Bob is on in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, it says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Now, I want you to imagine in your mind a small child falling into frigid, cold, oceanic waters with the waves crashing back and forth. I mean, you only have a little bit of time in there, and then you're going to get hypothermia, and you're crashed around, and you can't swim. And even if you're a good swimmer, you could not fight against those waves. That's the imagery that, that it causes, and that sheer panic and terror of falling into water. And, ah, what do I do? And it's dark, and you're disoriented, and you're freezing. 
This is the, the imagery that Paul is talking about. Children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men in cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. It's the wind of doctrine would be fad teachings. Doctrine's just another word for teachings. So fad teachings, you know, of this is what everybody thinks nowadays versus what everybody thought five years ago versus five years before that versus six months ago. It's the fad teaching kind of thing where you're moving from one thing to another. The slight of men. Think of marketing trickery, you know. It's the ShamWow. That, man, you watch that commercial and you are convinced beyond a shadow of doubt if you had the ShamWow that your life would be better, <laughs> that everything would be awesome. And um, the ShamWow is pretty magical, but it's not going to save your life. The cunning craftiness. Think about fake news, right? How you're scrolling along and then you read something and it so much connects with your point of view and your own personal bias that you're like, yes! And then you want to share it and you didn't even take a moment to think about, is this true? Is this true? You didn't do the research you didn't look into it, didn't check where it came from or the source. You just, because of your confirmation bias, just, ah, oh, yes. And it's like trickery. It's like, it's almost like this drug. You see this thing and it confirms what you think is true. And so there you go. They lie and wait to deceive. And the goal here is, the goal of syndrome, the bad guy, is not to get Bob to trust Buddy or syndrome. The goal is not to get, the, to get Mr. Incredible to trust Buddy. The goal is to get Mr. Incredible to not trust anything or anybody. That's the goal. The goal is to get Bob to not trust anything. And the enemy's goal for you and me and your family is to get you to not trust anything at all. To think there's no point in trusting because there's nothing trustworthy. Look what happens when Bob and Helen are reunited. Okay, we'll finish the scene here. You take away from me. Family survived the crash. They're here on the island. They're alive? <coughs> Hello? Hello. You must be Mr. Sinclair. She was helping me to escape. No, that's what I was doing. Let go of me. Let go, you lousy, lying, unfaithful creep. How could I betray the perfect woman? Oh, you're referring to me now? Wh where are the kids? They might have triggered the alert. What? Security's been sent into the jungle. You'd better get going. Now our kids are in danger? Hey, if you suspected danger, why'd you bring I them? I didn't bring them. They stole away, and I don't think you're striking the proper tone here. <laughs> so, isn't that amazing how she does not trust him. The trust between Bob and Helen is broken in this situation. Bob doesn't trust himself. Bob doesn't trust anybody. He almost chokes this, uh, the girl out. And then Helen shows up, and Helen doesn't trust Bob. This trust between Helen and Bob is broken, and Helen thinks Bob has been with another woman. She sees him hugging this girl, and she doesn't trust him. And Bob has lost trust in himself, and Helen has lost trust in Bob. And they're both being emotionally, mentally, and physically tossed about by their enemy. They're being manipulated. And that's what the enemy does to you and me. It manipulates us. That's what a lot of culture does to us, is it manipulates us. And a lot of times it's manipulating us to get us to spend money so that we'll part with our dollars. That's marketing. That's how our society runs in a lot of ways. 
But Satan, our enemy, is not only manipulating us to spend money, it's manipulating us to get us to stop trusting each other, to stop working together as a team and as a family. So what solutions does Paul offer to the church at Ephesus? He's writing to this church, and he's giving them this letter. He said, don't be tossed about like children, because you'll be manipulated, and you'll just you'll lose trust, you'll lose hope, you'll give in to despair. How do we become the kind of families that are resilient enough to not be tossed around and confused like this? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, before that part where he talks about the children tossed to and fro, he says this. He says he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. He gave these people, like myself and other teachers, that can instruct us. And why did he give those to us? For this reason, for the perfecting of the saints. Now, what does the word perfecting mean? It means mentoring, coaching, helping someone to get better at what they do. Perfecting of the saints for the working, for the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, what does edifying mean? Edifying means to provide moral or intellectual instruction. To provide moral or intellectual instruction. That's what edifying means. It just it doesn't mean just encouraging someone or making someone feel better. It's to give them instruction, whether it's moral instruction or intellectual instruction. And my job is to teach and mentor you so you can do the work of the ministry, so you can teach others how to follow Jesus. And the goal, the goal that Paul says in Ephesians, and the goal for us now in Uniontown is unity of the faith. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are united in believing what is true. We are united in the knowledge of the Son of God. We have the mind of Christ, the Bible says. We can think like Jesus. And we are to be united to become the perfect person the perfect person the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ now when i say the perfect person some of you probably threw up a little bit in your mouth because you are so far removed from perfect you're like how could i ever possibly become perfect i'm obviously in the wrong place i knew i shouldn't have come i knew the, the walls were going to cave in or the ceiling was going to come down because I am so not perfect. So why is this guy telling me that I, I need to become perfect? If you're new to this church, you might be freaking out a bit, thinking I can't be perfect. Nobody's perfect. I'm doing the best I can to, to just show up here this morning and like get out of bed and breathe and, and have clothes on. Like You're lucky I'm here, Pastor Ron. Listening to this message online, you know, that's, that's the best I could do is to just go to this website and listen to this thing. Not screaming and swearing at people in the car on the way to church. Like, I, I achieved that this morning. I think that's pretty good. I, I think I should get a gold star. Or, or not running to do drugs and instead going to a meeting tonight. Like, that will be perfect enough for me. So, what, what is this thing you're talking about perfect? Maybe you think I don't need this garbage about being perfect right now. I know this little man with his jacket that's too small is, is trying to tell me that I'm going to become perfect, but he doesn't know what my life is like. Because nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? 
Isn't that what we say a lot of times? Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Maybe you're more churched, right? And when Pastor Ron says, you are to be perfect, you know that doesn't mean really perfect. That doesn't mean I actually have to be perfect. He means someday when I get to heaven, then I will get a heavenly glorified body and then I'll be able to be perfect. And I don't have to be perfect right now, but someday, later, because you know you have the theology and the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and Revelation and the eschatology, and you're like, I know someday I'll be perfect, but he doesn't really mean right now. I call this the Hannah Montana Christian. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days, right? How many of you are Hannah Montana fans? Okay, we have two, so I thought this joke would go over better. If you have Disney+, Plus, I encourage you to go back in time, right? <laughs> Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days. The Hannah Montana Christian says everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days. So, you know, it's okay that right now, in this moment, in this little season of my life, in this little struggle, if I don't try. Because I'm not going to become perfect. So I have a struggle. You have a struggle. We all have our own struggle. And this is an area of my life that I struggle in. And you have an area of your life that you struggle in. And we understand that because it's labeled struggle, we don't actually have to work on it. Right? Like, this is my struggle. This is my, my thing, my issue right now. So I don't necessarily have to work on it, you know. Maybe you have an anger issue. And so you lose your temper and you're like, yeah, you know, I got a bad temper, but that's like my struggle. Maybe you have a pornography problem, but you're like, you know, it's really hard to stop looking at that. And I've tried and I've talked to people, but it keeps coming back up. So that's my struggle. Or you have a gossip problem and you talk about people behind their back. And you're like, yeah, I know, I just need to control my mouth, but my tongue, my mouth is my struggle. Right? Everybody has their struggle. Everybody has their thing. And we label it the struggle. And then because nobody's perfect and everybody makes mistakes and everybody has those days, then I don't have to work on it. Work on it. I mean, I have to work on it, which means like going to church and reading my Bible, but I don't have to like work on it, work on it, work on it. That thing. I can let that one go, you know. Because I've tried before. I failed a bunch trying and it made me feel like crap and I just don't think I can go there right now I don't think I'm up for that feeling of brokenness and nastiness and shame again I just don't think I'm strong enough to handle that again not right now and that's exactly what Bob says in this next clip Is everybody okay back there? <laughs> Super duper, Dad! Let's <laughs> do that again. Wait here and stay hidden. I'm going in. While what? I watch helplessly from the sidelines? I don't think so. I'm asking you to wait with the kids. And I'm telling you, not a chance. You're my husband, I'm with you. For better or worse. I have to do this alone. 
What is this to you? Playtime? No. So you can be Mr. Incredible again? No. Then what? What is it? I'm not. Not what? I'm, I'm not strong enough. Strong enough, and this will make you stronger? Yes. No. That's what this is? Some sort of workout? I can't lose you again. I can't. Not again. I'm not strong enough. If we work together, you won't have to be. I don't know what will happen. Hey, we're superheroes. What could happen? <laughs> Isn't that a powerful scene? I I can't I can't lose you again. I'm not I'm not strong enough. I can't feel those feelings again. The feeling of vulnerability that I felt when I thought all was lost was just too much. And I can't go back there. I can't feel that again. So I know I shouldn't take my, I know I should take my next step in following Jesus. But I just don't know if I can handle that kind of uncertainty. I know I should take my next step in following Christ, but I don't know if I can handle that kind of uncertainty. Maybe you came to Christ, you came to this church, you found an oasis, a, a place where you were welcomed, where people talked for real about God and real about life, and you came here and you, you started to follow Christ, and you started to attend, you got baptized, maybe you went through some, some counseling or some discipleship, and you've started to take steps in your life, but then you got to a, a pretty comfortable place. And it feels pretty good to be part of the family of God, to have a church, to have a home. And then I, I speak and I share something from the Bible, and you know you should do that. But that would mean like upsetting everything. That would mean like tilling up the ground that is nice and stable right now. It'd be like shaking up your whole life. And I don't know if I really want to do all that right now and so you think well maybe you know that's that's kind of nice but i everybody makes mistakes that's not me just yet we talk about talk about how we should treat each other with love maybe when i talk about forgiveness and you're like yeah i've forgiven like these people but i have a special list and those people never get forgiven or when I talk about anger, and you're like, yeah, I know, and I've gotten better, but, but. It doesn't really mean that I should never cuss anybody out, like that I should never lose my temper, that I should always trust God to deal with those situations without me resorting to my old self, that partial identity. Does that really mean that I should give? Like when he talks about giving, does that mean I should give to people in need? To the church? To others? That I should serve? That I should find a way to serve my community? We're so busy. Like that would mean saying no to some of the things that we really want to do to serve others. Is that really? Like that would be a whole like, mm, messy thing. That would be hard. So for right now, I'm not going to worry about marrying the girl that I've been living with. I'm not going to worry about talking to someone about the pornography problem. I'm not going to worry about figuring out how to honor Christ with my finances. 
I'm not going to worry about dealing with my insecurity, you know, because that really only bugs me anyways, or dealing with my anxiety, or figuring out how to teach our kids to follow Jesus, figuring out how to pray together as a family. That might be awkward. That might be difficult. Figuring out how to set a goal for yourself and pursue it, because that's how we practice hope. Because I'm just not strong enough to feel failure again right now. As a family, we're just not strong enough to fail again. Do you know what the most terrifying feeling is? Do you know what the most terrifying emotion is? It's joy. Joy is the most terrifying emotion. A researcher, um, Brene Brown, she's a shame researcher, amazing stuff. Uh, she, she spoke and shared this, that joy is the most terrifying emotion. It's because when you are, have one week clean, and instead of feeling excited that you finally have one week clean in your life, and you're excited that you're making steps, instead all you can think about is, what if I screw it up tomorrow? Or when you stand over the crib as your child's sleeping peacefully, and you see this, this little thing that you never thought you would feel this much love in your entire life, and then you instantly think of the worst possible thing that could happen. And you're like, what is that? Where did that come from? It's because joy is scary. When things are going really well in your life, and life is good, and you have much to celebrate, then you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And that's your brain, like pre-worrying. That's your brain preparing itself for when something bad happens so that it doesn't hurt so bad. Because joy is terrifying. And if I experience joy, if I fully embrace joy, if I fully embrace the life that God has for me, the life that I have in Christ, of walking in Him, of being honest and obedient to Christ, if I fully lean into that, then what might happen when I fail? It's going to hurt worse. What's going to happen if I don't prepare for the worst possible thing what's gonna happen jerome pointed that out to me uh, a few weeks back when we had the fire pit we did like our bonfire like our fall bonfire um someone was playing with like a a sign it was like a rebar sign thing and they were one of the teens had it and thought it was a sword and it looked like a sword it was a really cool looking sword and he's swinging it around and of course i said put that down right now don't touch it before you impale someone right <laughs> Because in my mind, the only thing I could see was he's going to impale someone and I'm going to be on the news and this is bad. Instantly, my brain goes there and it's because I'm an adult and like I've grown up and I'm a dad now and, you know. But that thing, same thing happens in my life. I instantly seem like I go to the worst places. And your brain is saying if I allow myself to lean into this joy and success and hope, then it will be ten times worse when it all comes crashing down. And when it's all taken from me, when despair returns with a vicious, vicious strength, then I'm going to be a wreck. And the problem is that we cannot selectively numb emotions. There is no way to selectively numb emotions. You can't say, okay, I don't want to feel these feelings, but I do want to feel all these feelings. There's no drug that can do that. There's no escape that can do that. There's no systematic way of making sure that you don't feel some things but feel all the other things. 
There's no way to selectively numb your feelings and your emotions. So while Bob is trying to protect himself from the feeling of losing his family, he's also protecting him, preventing himself from the feeling of being family. And while you're protecting yourself from the loss and the fear of your next step in Christ, you're also protecting or preventing yourself from feeling the unity of the body of Christ. From feeling the joy of other people's success. From feeling the hope of walking in Christ. And that's why you take a little baby step in Christ and then you detach. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're detached. And then, you know, maybe you, you pray a little bit and you go to small group and it's a nice little blip. And then you go back into this life and it seems like your Christian walk is a start and stop and a start and stop and a stuttered mess rather than a leaning fully into Christ because you're afraid. You're afraid. And you prevent yourself from feeling of being family because becoming incredible means trusting your church family. It means learning to trust your church family, to trust each other, for us all to trust each other. Just as Bob couldn't possibly beat his enemies alone, he needed Helen. He needed his kids. They needed each other as a family to defeat the enemy. And they had to work together or there was no hope. You can't possibly beat your enemy alone. And you don't have to. You have us. God has richly blessed you with a church family in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, Fayette County. Look around. We have a church family a room full of people that loves you and cares about you, that's interested in getting to know the things you're interested in, that's interested in helping you figure out how to take your next step, how to be more successful in Christ, how to achieve your goal. And God has richly blessed you, so you don't have to face despair alone. You don't have to face your struggle alone. In Ephesians 4, 4-6, through 6, Paul says this. At the beginning of the chapter, he says, There's one body and one spirit. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. God is in you all. He is in you all. And we need you all. And you all need you all. We need each other. So I know I'm supposed to believe this, but it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Every step of growth in my spiritual walk with Christ was predicted and preceded by vulnerability. Every single step of growth in my walk with Christ has been after vulnerability. And the vulnerability for me looks something like this. I know I'm supposed to believe this, I know the right words to say because I'm a pastor, but I can't make it work in my life. I know what the Bible said. I know what I'm supposed to say. I know what I'm supposed to believe, but it's not working in my life. And I'm kind of afraid to say that out loud. It's been that kind of vulnerability as I talk to another pastor or a friend of mine or a close friend who's been walking with God. That kind of vulnerability is what's necessary for me to grow in my spiritual walk. So I can't help but think you're going to need to do the same thing in your life. If that's what I, as a pastor, have to do, 
then that's what you also have to do. That's how you ask for edification, which is moral and intellectual instruction. And if they give you a flippant answer, like, oh, you know, you just got to try. I don't know. I mean, uh, I never have that problem. Then go find a different teacher. Okay? Because one of two things are going on. One, they're really good at pretending. and You're scaring them to death. <laughs> or two, it's been so long since they had that pain and that struggle that they don't remember what it's like. Because there's a sweet spot when you feel the pain and the joy at the same time. There's a really sweet spot. This is why addicts have to help addicts find recovery. This is why Christians have to help Christians follow Christ. Because there's a sweet spot where you both feel the pain of the struggle and the joy of the victory, and you remember. You remember how nasty and ugly and painful it was just a little bit ago. And now I have this joy and I'm scared to lose it, but in this moment I remember what happened in between there. And ten years from now you may not remember what it felt like to be in that pain. And so you look at somebody and you're like, well, why don't you just do this? Because the thing you learn there has become a habit in your life and it's easy and it's second nature. But in that moment, you really need someone who knows both the pain of the struggle and the joy of the victory. And that's a special season. And when you're in that season, you're supposed to learn and you're supposed to help other people come along with you. We're supposed to. Keep asking around the church until you find someone that both understands the pain and the joy. And this is a special place where people both understand the pain and the struggle and the joy of the victory. In that place, they have a unique insight to encourage and edify you. Which is why as the body of Christ, we have to share with each other both our pain and our victories. And this Tuesday, we're going to do that. This Tuesday, we're going to sing some songs, we're going to worship, we're going to have communion, and then we're going to have some mics up here, and we're going to share some stories of what God has done in our lives as a church in 2019, what God is doing right now. For some of you, that's going to be a story of pain. For others of you, that will be a story of joy, but we want both. We want to hear both because it's how we communicate and connect with each other so that we learn what's going on. Faith is a place of mystery where we find the courage to believe in what we cannot see and the strength to let go of our fear of uncertainty. Brene Brown said that. So Bob relents at the end of the story. Bob relents. And as a family, the Incredibles are able to work together to defeat Syndrome. So let's see how they wrap up this part of their story. to have cheerleaders at the track meet. I mean, what is that all about? Well, I always thought it was more about hey. the... Hey. You're, uh, Violet, right? That's me. See you, bye. You, you look different. I feel different. Is different okay? Hey, different is... <clears throat> different is great. <laughs> well, would you, uh, uh, yeah. do, do you think maybe you and yeah. I, you know, um, do you know? I like movies. I'll buy the popcorn, okay? Uh, movie. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Hey, wait, wait. wait. So, Friday? Friday. Friday. <laughs> come on, run, guys, run! Go, 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 run, 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 come on, come on, come on. Yeah, pick up the pace, come on. No, pull back, pull back. Slow down just a little bit. Don't give up. Make it close. Six seconds. 
such a great ending it's such a great ending their decision to work together as a family doesn't mean that they no longer have to face uncertainty does it their decision to work together as a family the happy ending is not that this family no longer has to face uncertainty that everything's going to work out and that everything's going to be okay all the time no it means that when uncertainty comes they face it together What is the uncertainty in your life this morning? What is the uncertainty in your life this morning? What is the struggle that you're facing? If you're facing it alone, then you're both preventing yourself from experiencing the joy and preventing the church from being able to help you in this struggle. You're preventing the church from being the church to you in this struggle. So what do you do? What do you do? if you're in a place of uncertainty this morning. I want you to reach out and have a conversation with somebody this week. Ask them how they deal with this. You don't have to like dump all your stuff. Say, hey, you know, how do you, have you ever felt this? How do you deal with it as a Christian? How do you deal with that? And if they don't have a great answer, if they're like a flippant answer, then maybe move on and ask someone else. On the other hand, if they say, oh yeah, I know what you mean. I've been there before. Then maybe they have some instruction for you that can help. Maybe they can offer some accountability and some hope. Don't just find someone that can commiserate with your pain, that knows what it's like to be in that pain and doesn't have any victory either. Find someone that understands both the pain of your struggle and the joy of the victory. Keep looking until you can find someone that can also lead you into joy because becoming incredible means trusting your church family. So this morning, I'm going to pray for us that God will help us to be the church as we go into our Christmas season. Dear God, I thank you for the struggles. I thank you for the places in my life where you have called me to vulnerability, to lean into the uncertainty when I'm afraid to reach out and ask somebody, How do you handle this? It seems like everybody else is good at this, but man, on the inside of me, this is wrecking me. God, you've always sent people into my life. You've sent mentors, disciples, disciplers. You've always sent people, and your Holy Spirit has led and guided me to the right person to talk about who understands both the pain and the joy for whatever season I'm in. God, I pray that you would help us as a church to be that to each other, to share both our pain and our joy, to be the church, to trust the church, 
and to lean into our relationships with each other. Bless our small groups as we do this every week. Bless our conversations before the service, after the service, as we go to lunch. Bless our phone calls that we make this week to encourage and edify each other. I thank you for letting us be the church and help us to continue to lean into that and trust that becoming incredible means trusting the church. In Jesus' name, amen.